Welcome to the Streamline Performance Podcast, where our mission is to provide you, the everyday athlete, with the knowledge, insight, and tools to stay active, improve performance, and avoid injury along the way. We believe that an active life is a life worth living, and if you're here, you likely do too. If you're ready to learn from the best doctors, coaches, athletes, and other leading experts in the ever-changing world of health and wellness, you're in the right place. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Streamline Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Hattinger. Today, I'm excited to talk about something that I really don't know a ton about, but I've seen it help a lot of people with Dr. Alex from Ethos Integrative Sports Medicine. She's one of the owners there, and I think that this is something that can really benefit people and you might not really understand that you need it until you learn more about it. So I'm excited to learn a lot today. Dr. Alex, thanks for hopping on the podcast with us. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I agree with you. I think that this topic is something that people don't really know that they need it unless they have the quintessential symptoms. Like, you know, you have hot flashes and night sweats all night long, and then you're like, great, my hormones are off and I need to go fix it. But (laughs) There's so many other things that people don't even recognize. You know, for me... Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about how you got into that? Yeah, for me, getting into women's hormones kind of made sense. I come from a family of all girls, except for my dad. I have three sisters. And so women's hormones was really all I've ever known. And I think that the care, what I saw when I was in med school and then when I first started practice was that the care for women's hormones just isn't really that great. I think that there is a major lack of education that happens out there. And people think, and it's it's really sad for patients because people think that like, I'm going to go to my gynecologist because they're an expert in hormones and they are absolutely an expert in pregnancy. They are absolutely an expert in bringing your baby out into the world. They're absolutely an expert in surgery and they are really good at those kind of things. But when it comes to intricacy of hormones, they're not actually talking about that, right? And so the option that women get is like, you can have an IUD, um, you can have a birth control pill. And then when you get to menopause, You might get some other options depending on who you're talking to. But like short of that, you're up the creek without a paddle. And so I feel like I'm just really passionate about helping women feel better because really you don't have to feel like crap for your entire life. And I think that's something that women don't know. You know, like this whole, you're just 50 or you're just 40, you know, and this is just what 40 year olds feel like. That's unreasonable to me. Yeah. I've heard a lot of women talk about that especially like kind of around menopause age that oh it's just like something that i this is my life now uh, yes. kind of a thing and they're, they're just they're now a victim of it and i think learning yes. a little bit more about it and how you can kind of control it or have some control over it i think is a good thing a hundred percent you know and i think that menopause what most women don't know is that menopause can start as much as like that perimenopausal window can start as much as 10 years or more prior to menopause and it usually starts with a decline in progesterone and testosterone right which is completely different than what we think about with menopause because what we're thinking about is like we're taught to think about hot flashes and night sweats and yeah. vaginal dryness and those kind of things, right? But the symptoms of testosterone and progesterone don't show up like that. And so people suffer for a really long time, kind of unnecessarily, honestly. So what does the process look like when you're first getting started with someone and they're kind of thinking like, hey, something might be off with my hormones? Does it start with, I'm assuming it starts with blood work and, and what, just take me through that process start to finish. Yeah. So it starts with a good intake. We are, we get patients all the time that come to us that say, I've been everywhere 
right? I've had all my labs run and they're normal. Well, I can tell you that in almost all cases, there's something that's been missed. So it's three things. It's either that they haven't had good labs run, which we see a lot, that the labs weren't run correctly because in female hormones, you have to run them on specific days. Females make things difficult. It's what we're good at. And then the third thing is that we're not looking at optimal levels. So I've had women who have sat in front of me, put down labs from another doctor. And I've said, Hey, has anyone told you you have a thyroid issue? And they've literally looked at me almost bursted into tears because they're like, I've been telling my doctor this for five years. I've been telling them for five years that I think I have all these symptoms and because we're not looking at optimal levels. So we're going to do a good intake and we're going to figure out the picture because hormones, despite the fact that we are really good at siloing things in medicine, it's a symphony. It's not a system, right? So like they play together. So for example, thyroid, we know that if you have healthy levels of T4, you tend to have healthier levels of progesterone and they tend to kind of have this relationship where when T4 is high, progesterone tends to be high and vice versa. We know that if you're having testosterone issues, we should look at the thyroid and make sure that that's optimized. And so we're going to kind of take a picture, a look at the entire picture and then say, okay, look, these are the labs that we want to run. One of my biggest pet peeves in medicine is I'll get people that have these labs that have been run and nobody took time to think about it. So they went to like, I don't know, someone that kind of does like a package of labs, right? And so like I have a woman who came into my office, she's menopausal. So the definition of menopausal is that she doesn't have any estrogen or progesterone and they ran estrogen and progesterone twice on her. And I was like, all right, well, you know, we already knew the answer. And so we're going to really figure that out. And then we're going to do a treatment visit because ethos, we don't like throwing darts in the dark. And so I usually don't treat unless We have labs associated, right? Unless I already know the answer. If I know the answer, then I'll treat you. But short of that, right, there's things that we need to double check. Then we'll do a treatment visit. And then it's optimization. I think a lot of it's about having a conversation and about where your labs should be. You know, and I think that that's a question that I get a lot is like, well, how would I even know if I've had good labs run? I'm like, well, first of all, if nobody's ever gone through them line by line with you to say, hey, you know, TSH, TSH should be one to 1.5 right? Which means that if you're at a three, we're not really in that window, right? Maximum, we should be getting to about two. If we're getting, for example, to progesterone, right? Above five, we can assume that a woman ovulated above 10 is ideal, right? If they're younger, right? In menopause, it's a little bit different, but that should be kind of the grittiness that your labs are getting assessed at, right? Because then you know that your doctor's looking at each line and they're saying, okay, great. Is this optimal? Because most of the time, by the time it gets flagged by the lab as a problem, you are really not feeling very good. You got to catch that way earlier. And so when you're looking at this stuff, is it always because they're having symptoms like fatigue or hot flashes and that kind of stuff? Or is it, do you see this coming to, you know, we see a lot of athletes or mm-hmm. active people, how does how do these hormones affect how people feel when they do, you know, so that's a, events? That's a great question. A lot of the time, right, those symptoms that you think about, there's a ton of other symptoms that we need to be looking at. So in menopause, right, when we're thinking about like actual menopause, like estrogens going down, uh, progesterone's going down, right? probably cessation of a period, those kind of things. Up to 80% of women can have musculoskeletal concerns in menopause and up to 25% will have severe debilitating musculoskeletal concerns. And so that can be joint pain, that can be muscular fatigue, that can be muscle pain. And a lot of the time it's not, it's 
completely ignored and it has a hormonal component to it, right? On top of that, we know that if we're looking at things like healing, right? So a lot of what you do in your office is retraining muscles as well as kind of healing those injuries, right? When we're looking at healing, you have to have a normal hormonal component to be able to heal. And our patient, like hands down, my patients that have had the biggest struggle with healing have been patients that haven't paid attention to optimization of their hormones, specifically testosterone can play a big role in this, but so can estrogen. You have to have healthy levels of estrogen to be able to make collagen, right? And that collagen deposition when we're thinking about like tendons, ligaments and skin and those kind of things. And so it plays a big role in younger women. So in musculoskeletal concerns in, in actual menopause are huge, but let's say you're like 40, right? Oftentimes in the 40 year old, this will show up like, man, I feel like I gassed out so early right? Like I used to be able to lift heavy. I used to be able to do this thing and now I can't anymore. Or I'm sore for three days after. It's unreasonable. I lift one heavy thing and I'm sore for three days after. So we see that a lot. This is, I'm like, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of people that I'm currently working with. I'm like, oh, like maybe we should talk about this with you. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. So if you identify someone that has, you know, some of their blood work is off or their hormones are off, what happens next? Yeah. So that kind of depends on how far off and what their goals are and what the order of operations is. Right. So I have some patients that come in that they just feel like junk and they're like, do all the things to fix it. Right. And then I have some patients that are a lot more analytical. Right. For example, if we had a thyroid issue and we had a testosterone issue, we're going to figure out which one to do first. or We might do them concurrently, depending on kind of how low they are. And then when it comes to, for example, testosterone replacement, a lot of that depends on lifestyle and again, how low. Right. So when I say lifestyle, I mean, if I'm talking to sometimes I see like women that are in their 30s that have crap testosterone, but they're not done having kids. They are not going to be a good candidate for testosterone replacement. So then we're going to talk about other things that we can hopefully do to increase that. And there are a lot of different options. If I'm talking to somebody in her 40s that's done having kids or even somebody in their 30s that's done having kids, right? That's a different conversation. So it's about kind of the risks as well as where we are on levels. Okay. And that brings up another thought. So my wife and I, we we have a one-year-old daughter and Mm -hmm. we love having kids. And since we've had a kid, we've met more and more people our age that are trying to have kids. And no one talks about how many people really struggle with getting pregnant. Can you talk about like some hormonal factors that can come into play with people that struggle with fertility issues and getting pregnant um, and what you you can kind of do about that? Yeah. So a lot of that really does have to do with, first of all, starting with getting your hormones in check. I think that when it comes down to it, right, there's kind of a spectrum and it depends kind of how long you've been dealing with fertility issues and what that looks like, right? So first of all, I like to remind my couples because sometimes we forget that it takes two people to make a baby. And so both people probably should be assessed because a lot of the time I think we make assumptions that it's the woman, but it's not always the woman. So if you're in this, I've been trying for two years, nothing has ever happened. I've never gotten any symptoms of early pregnancy. I've never had a miscarriage. I've never done whatever. Okay. You might, you are going to want to treat that way more aggressively. I like for my women to come in at least three to six months prior to conception and we should run your hormones. We should get you off of birth control. We should be assessing your nutrient status and we should be getting it ready. And so you want those eggs to be as healthy as as possible. A lot of the time with this, you have to have your labs run on a specific day. So for females, 
levels, you really want to be running day three to five estrogen, testosterone, uh, DHEA, those kind of things. And that's day three to five of the ovulation cycle, correct? Yes. So day one would be the first day of a woman's period. That's very confusing for women. So day one (laughs) is the first day of bleed. And then uh, day three to five, we'd run those. And then about seven days after ovulation, or you can do seven days before the period, kind of depending, but usually for, for fertility, it's peak plus seven, we would run progesterone at that point. When it comes down to it, they all play a role. So for example, right, we know that if estrogen is above 50, some fertility docs say about 75. I usually say about 50. I usually like about 30 to 50. Then we can assume that that's indicating that you might have a little bit of an ovarian reserve issue, right? So your ovaries need a little bit of work. And testosterone and DHEA, you have to have healthy levels of androgens, even though nobody talks about androgens in women. I don't know why. You have to have healthy levels of androgens to be able to have that follicle mature. So it's really about the symphony of all of those things together. And I think the earlier that you start, the better you can get yourself prepared because it really does take longer than people think, right? And there's a lot more people that struggle getting pregnant. And I think that back in grade nine health class, right, we were kind of taught you look wrong at somebody and you get pregnant. That's how it works. Turns out it's not how that works. And so um, (laughs) it takes a lot more planning. And so we know several people that are going through IVF for, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's like the third, fourth time. Like it's, it's like really a hard thing for people to deal with. And, um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, we only had two viable eggs this mm-hmm. this time it's heartbreaking uh, and, and then you're kind of fingers crossed that something happens and can figuring out your hormones help with having more eggs that are actually viable yeah um so i think that in those cases right a lot of the time we have to take a little bit more of an aggressive approach in those kind of cases there's definitely something going on there in terms of kind of egg quality so there's things that you can do to increase egg quality in terms of kind of antioxidants things like coq10 play a big role in that right and a lot of people are deficient in that melatonin can play a big role as can dhea and so there are things to do but a lot of time in those cases you really want to step back and say, okay, what else? You know, is there an underlying like toxicity issue, like a mycotoxin or mold issue? Or is there uh, an environmental medicine issue? Because oftentimes in those kind of cases, there's a reason, right? Uh, We just don't really know what it is. But oftentimes like the run of the mill kind of run your hormones isn't enough in those cases to get going. You need to be a little bit more aggressive. And when you're treating someone and you're trying to get your hormones back on track, Mm -hmm. are you treating them with prescriptive medication or is it over the counter stuff that people can find at the store like on a website like what mm-hmm. what do you do to help that so that depends on where they are in life but i will say that we are we're good at optimizing hormones and we use hormone replacement a lot in our office and i think that in terms of getting levels to optimal that's going to be the best way to do that now that does depend on health status it does depend on risk factors it does depend on those kind of things but i think that hormone replacement is usually the best way to get people feeling better um, and to get their levels to optimal. Now, I do think that there are a lot of clinics that do pretty aggressive hormone replacement, right? Like I see women walk into my office from pellet clinics that I think, wow, your testosterone is better than 90% of the men that walk in here. Great. (laughs) Um, And so I don't believe in that. I think that we need to dose women with 
hormones. I think that the research clearly indicates that women who do hormone replacement tend to do better in almost all aspects of health as we age, right? And there's a reason why women live longer and have healthier lives than men up until menopause when then they just kind of fall off a cliff. That said, I think that there's a lot of wild west dosing. And when it comes down to safety, right, you really want to be safe and you want to maintain ranges that make sense for a woman, as opposed to kind of doing this super physiologic let's make you Superman dosing. Because I think that's why hormone replacement gets a bad rap. Yeah, that's, I think people are a little bit hesitant about it sometimes because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think women are also super hesitant because of some misinformation that's out there. It all stems from kind of the Women's Health Initiative, which happened in 2002. It was a very, very large study. It was the largest study ever done of its kind in terms of financial components associated with it. And more or less, the answer to it was that the results were not statistically significant in terms of an increase in breast cancer risk, but the the mainstream media kind of got a hold of it and said, yeah, a hormone replacement causes breast cancer. Well, that's not really what they found. What they found is that if you're on crappy hormone replacement, like progestins, which is not the same as progesterone, it's not the same, then yeah, that does slightly increase our risk for breast cancer right? What they found is that estrogen-only patients actually did better in breast cancer risk. And they found that women who were on hormone replacement, actually, if they got diagnosed with breast cancer later in life and were on hormone replacement, had better outcomes than women who were not on hormone replacement. So I think there's a big push in the medical community with doctors who know what they're doing with hormone replacement to start to change the conversation with women regarding kind of breast cancer risk and those kind of things. I think that that's happening and a lot of doctors are talking about it, but I do think that that's still something that holds back a lot of women is that they think, oh, I'm just going to suffer through menopause, right? Without realizing that suffering through menopause doesn't mean not sleeping. It means an increase in Alzheimer's and dementia risk. It means an increase in cardiovascular risk. It means a decrease in muscle health and an increase in sarcopenia, right? So the loss of muscle. All of those things have major impacts in longevity and in quality of life and in the way that we show up. So there's major impacts. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to suffer through because I don't want to get breast cancer. When realistically, a sedentary lifestyle and alcohol intake increase our breast cancer risk way more than hormone replacement does. I've got a couple more questions for you here. So when we look at your period cycle and your menstruation cycle, there's a couple companies that I've seen before that work with athletes on kind of timing your cycle in terms of like athletic performance and trying to Mm -hmm. like get things, I don't want to say on track, that's not the right word, but timing your, you can really change your cycle to match up with like when you have a big competition and and you're going to perform the best at that. One of them that comes to mind is, uh, it's called Fitter Woman. I don't know if you've Hmm. heard of that. I Um, have not, but I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll send you the link. It's kind of a cool, they don't do hormone replacement, but they really work hand in hand, probably with people like yourself to, to manage these people that they're working with to optimize how they feel and how they're performing Mm -hmm. Uh, on a regular basis. It's kind of a cool thing. So yeah, I'll, I'll send you that. Do you know of any other companies that work with people like that? I don't, but I think that it's a big conversation. I think it's an important conversation. I think that we very much have this attitude in medicine that like women are just men, but not men, you know? And so we're supposed to treat the body the exact same way. And that's not true. Our fluctuations in hormones really make us different at different parts of the cycle. Right. And so we know, even though most women, they think that when they're on their period, they're hormonal. Like that's what women think is like, oh, I'm hormonal because I'm on my period. It's actually the opposite. 
Right. Your hormones have declined and you actually are suffering from a lack of hormones when you're <laughs> on your period. And so oftentimes when we're on our period, that's when we should slow down, right? That's when we should give our body grace. That's when you should think if you're gassing out during a workout, right? It's probably normal because your body doesn't have the same hormones as it would versus when we're getting closer to ovulation or kind of in that after your period up to ovulation phase, kind of before progesterone kicks in, you really are going to get a lot of benefits in terms of performance, right? So if you're looking to increase muscle mass, if you're looking to increase performance and to PR and to kind of move to the next level, right? That's a good phase to kind of focus in on versus when you're getting to the end of the cycle, you tend to be a little bit more sluggish. Progesterone does have a little bit more of that like sluggishness to it, right? And so you might not be quite performing quite at the exact same level. There's actually some interesting thoughts on this, even with like brain capacity as well, right? And like what we're able to focus on in different parts of the cycle. And so I think that this is something that a lot of women need to, should be kind of reading about and looking into and stuff, because I think it's important to give yourself grace. And I think that sometimes people who are high performers, right, myself included, are not good at that, right? You just expect every day to be the exact same. And especially in the female cycle, that's not going to be the case. Yeah. The more that I've learned about this, the more... I I tend to see actually, I want to say flare-ups, but symptoms change with people when they're dealing with an injury and Mm -hmm. they're going through different stages of their cycle. Um, Absolutely. And and I don't, I don't always ask like, Hey, you know, what stage of your cycle are you in? Mm -hmm. But I've started to become more aware of it with people that I've seen for, you Mm -hmm. know, three, four, five months. And it's like, cause it'll just come up in conversation. They're like, Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on my period or whatever. And, and then you start to kind of get an idea of what time of the month that you normally happens. Or like some people don't menstruate at all. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's an issue in and of itself. Yep. Those people might have different symptom fluctuation than people that are on a more regular cycle. And uh, it's just a really interesting thing that I see kind of affect the healing cycle and pain levels with folks that I deal with. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad that you mentioned pain levels because we do know that having healthy levels of hormones makes us a lot more resilient to pain, both socially, mentally, that kind okay. of stressor and pain, as well as physical pain. When we have healthier, higher levels of hormones, higher levels of testosterone and estrogen, we tend to be a lot more resilient and that's physically resilient. So pain wise, as well as mentally resilient. So the research is on startle ability, which is basically your ability to like rile somebody up. Right. And we know that when hormones are lower, they get easily riled versus when hormones are normal. And it's interesting because most women don't think about it in a physical, like if they're in your office, right? And you're working with them and they're struggling through or they're having a flare up or they're in a lot more pain, like musculoskeletally, a lot of women don't think about that. But where we do think about it is every single woman has gone and done something like a laser treatment or wax or something. And they're like, oh my God, this is so painful today. Right. And then they'll correlate that to their cycle, but Uh they forget about the musculoskeletal piece. And it's the same thing. All right. Yeah, that's that's actually a very good analogy to that. So, mm-hmm. well, cool. Is there anything else that you feel like is, I guess, relevant on this topic that I didn't ask any of my ignorant questions on? <laughs> hey, I, I think you did great with your question. So you did great with that. Um, awesome. The biggest thing that I would say for women is that you don't have to feel the way that you feel. Just 40 is not a, not a diagnosis. Just 50 is not a diagnosis. I think that if you don't feel good, then there's a reason and it just hasn't been uncovered yet. And so I would encourage that women start to kind of 
I, I don't know. I just encourage women to take control, ask more questions, try to get better labs run or whatever, because it really is life changing when you can get your hormones in check. And I think that so many women are just taught like, eh, this is just the card you're dealt. Right. right. And I, and I don't think that's true. Well, that's awesome to hear that they can get help with that. And then from my perspective, I've have someone to send them to now when, when I start hearing about that stuff. So that's awesome. I appreciate that. We're happy to help them. Well, thanks, Dr. Alex. We'll hopefully revisit this at some point in the future with you, but I really appreciate you hopping on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And how can people learn more about what you do in your practice? Yeah. So we do, I do have a YouTube channel, which is really helpful for people. Mm -hmm. It's Dr. Alex Mayer on YouTube, and that just has a ton of good information. I will also give you a download for people on, it's titled, why everything is normal and you still feel like crap because that's what patients come in with. Yeah. And so we'll give you that for people. That just has some really good information on starting points in terms of where to go next. That's awesome. And, and that's Dr. Alex Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R for people that are listening. Yeah. Check out her YouTube channel. It's probably a very good resource to start at for sure. Thanks for hopping on and uh, we'll chat with you next time. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great day.